And, but then, okay, so we have a roundtable discussion, and normally if you do that live, you're sitting in a conference and you literally have a table and you're sitting a number of people. Mm. I think people are more encouraged to really start speaking. You look in the eye of someone and, and they really, you know, answer more easily uh, than sitting yeah. behind a computer uh, have we all offline, uh, right? I, I, I've facilitated roundtables both online yeah. and uh, physically. Have we all done it physically? I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And to me, when you're in a conference, you don't know anyone. Everybody knows the um, cultural code. If you're at the roundtable and you join and sat down at this particular table, you're sort of expected to say who you are. And you're expected mm. to come with contribution. That it's, it's, it's a cultural code. Mm. Right? Yeah. Mm. But it's also moderated. So if all of us are sitting on a one table, yeah. there is a, as you said, like code of conduct. So of course you cannot be, because I can challenge you physically. So like, okay, so what is your name and what do you do? When you are online setting, you can actually hide. Mm. So there are two things that are very, it's uh, puzzling me as an event organizer all these 15 years. I think that online events are so challenging and it's so exciting because the on-site events are usually very moderated. You know every single step what the delegates is going to do from the moment that they go in into the, the, the venue. Is, is you can, directed. Yeah, you can you can envision it. So, okay, we're going to put the, the you know, the, the registration stage, here, registration. then how the registration will look like, and then it's going to be elevator. On the elevator, we're going to put music. Uh, we usually put the, the, the three kings, right? <laughs> That's because right. you want to have them excited all the time. So you are moderating. On an online, you cannot moderate it because they're hiding behind the computers. Oh, and, and also, the, the it's not a linear uh, conference anymore. People go in and out and decide to Exactly. Yeah. What do you think, Daniel? I mean, if you were to sit online, you know, in a remote type of conference, and you're sitting in a discussion with 10, 10-ish people, I mean, normally you would think that people are more, you know, brave when sitting behind the computer than sitting, you know, in real life speaking to someone. But it seems to be the... Reverse, right? I, 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 yeah. uh, and I think the, you know, it has to distinguish between writing, because yeah. I see that a lot of people are right. active if they can chat. But in terms of speaking, point. I think there's a difference. Now, I find it hard to distinguish what's a hen and an egg, because you're you know, almost damaged by the poor audio quality. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. oh, you interrupt the chat. Oh, you go. Oh, I it's but, always this, but, but do you think it could also be the anonymity of, of actually writing? But when you actually speak yeah. and you have a phone, you can see exactly who it is. Yeah. So people are not as anonymous or feel as anonymous anymore. And therefore they become less brave, perhaps. But, okay, but another angle then. Now in Corona times, to have Teams meeting or whatever we have at work, I think the barrier is, we're through the barrier that they are quite communicative now. They're not perfect. But, uh, I mean, like, what's your feeling at work? You know, do you think that there's a good flow of conversation in your team's meeting? Start there. Yeah, much better, at least. Uh, I think we ha still have to do a lot of work in terms of managing the meeting to ensure that everyone is involved. That's the point, right? Yeah. And you have to do that early because otherwise yes. those that are more, you know, passive, they will stay. Okay. Passive. So th this is, this is a core problem. If no one is really in our team's meeting moderating the conversation, it's always a guy like Henrik <laughs> and a couple of more guys nice. who, who, who gets passionate and the brain shuts off and they become crocodiles, right? Yeah. Stops listening, right? I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys. I'm sorry. But, but that's really true, right? So you, to so that moderation to get everybody's vo voice heard. 
Yeah, you, you need to really deliberately work on it. Yeah, you can do that in different ways. You know, you can ask questions. You can do questionnaires, such yeah. as we did with the NLP seminar at Peltarium. Yes, yes. And it, you can use different tricks for that. So, so techno- you know, tricks to mitigate that. So and now back to the roundtables. Is that different when it's now we don't know each other? With first time we are meeting up, potentially 10 people in a, in a, it's a, it's a team's session, right? But I never seen the guys before. Well, speaking, and, and we all have to, you know, live with the corona situation and, you know, people are getting more and more used to using Teams and remote, you know, video conferencing systems. Or any other system. But the question then, you know, when it comes to roundtables in the future, I don't think we will go back exactly to what we had before. No. I don't think we will only have physical things. I think we'll combine it with having also remote, because it's a lot of positive things, especially mm. if you look at academic kind of conferences that are super expensive to go to and you have to travel around the world to come to them. Today you can go to one of the top like conferences and pay more or less nothing and listen to so many awesome speakers that you would never be able to do before. Yeah, I mean like in in the in the in data twenty thirty summit that we've had now for three days. How many countries? Thirty two countries. Thirty two countries. Hundred and ninety seven companies, uh, four hundred and thirty delegates. It was amazing. We had like a but that's the point, right? Thirty two countries. Would you have had that locally in Sweden? No. No. Never. Actually it was a, a two region conference. So it was for Middle East Africa and for the Nordics. So far we have been running it in Nordics. So we decided like, let's see what is mm. gonna happen in the Middle East. And we put them into one event. So I was waking up at 5.30 in the morning yeah, yeah, and then basically startups. I did like two openings. I did the opening at 6.30 for uh, uh, MIA region mm-hmm. and then I opened the, the, the Nordic in uh, uh, 8.30. Um, cool. But you can see as and well. And people could choose even to yeah, go yeah, into. So it was free off. so people can contact each other etc. So what we stand for is actually like um, uh, making organization being more mature when it comes to advanced analytics data and etc. And one of the key areas here is actually benchmarking between peers, companies, industries, countries, which we have done in the Nordics, and now regions. Because when you see this uh, maturity difference, that is when you start like, okay, we're on the right track, or, oh, I have a lot to learn. And this was actually very obvious here, and it was very, very good. But for the roundtable, coming back to that, in Middle East Africa, they work perfectly. It's not, okay, this is a cultural difference you could see. Because I, I, I told them once, this is how it's going to work. The round tables are discussion that needs to be moderated. That means if there is no participants, the moderator doesn't have anything to moderate. So the value of a round table is everybody contributing. So if they don't contribute, there is no round table. And then comes the moment, uh, 24, the catch 24 or whatever it's called, right? So, uh, the moderator stands. He's waiting for somebody uh, to come into the discussion and have a dialogue. Everybody is now joining passively. They don't want to be part of the conversation. Conversation is not happening. Delegates are now like, hey, this is nothing happening. They're going out of the room. And the, the, the moderator is now basically also getting a little bit annoyed because there is nothing to moderate. And, you know, it becomes a problem. And coming back to your thing, mm. you need to moderate it. So we went into the roundtables and started a discussion. Uh, today we're gonna. There is nobody in the room. I'm talking. Today we're gonna discuss about this and this bullet points and this and then some. You know, people will the start active people in. started to tune in yeah, instead. So exactly. the, they, so the point was also that they went in as uh, passive listeners to see if this was anything cool. Yeah. And then they put on the camera. Yes, exactly. Because mm-hmm. they need that 
cool off icebreaker type of time yes. to feel comfortable yeah. to go in. And I was encouraging, look at me. I am in the, uh, this is what I said. It's like, look at me. I'm at home. This is my flowers. This is my window. Okay. This is how my desk look like. Just go for it. We have seen all the rooms in the world. <laughs> but and what's the difference then? Why did it, you know, how can you contrast the EMEA tracks to the Nordic tracks today? They, they follow instruction. They, they basically, okay, we they, do. They understand this is how it is. Okay. And then they just did it. Yeah. While, while the Swedish or Nordic track was not yeah. as. And, and very, very forward going. I'm here to learn. They comes in the round table, say like, hey, my name is uh, Muhammad. I'm coming from uh, this and this organization. I'm here in this round table to learn about this. This is my main challenge. I, uh, is anybody experiences something like this? Boom, I have, it's, it's boom on the dot. Well, yeah. some people need an icebreaker to be yes. able to start yes. speaking, but someone that doesn't need an icebreaker to start speaking is actually Daniel Renkantz. Welcome here. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. No, but I, I must say, I mean, I think you're one of the best public speakers I've seen and, and you have a way of speaking, which is a bit unorthodox, uh, but also have a way of engaging people, I think, in, in ways that, you know, the normal type of public speak, hey, um, my name is blah, 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 I'm going to talk about this, I'm from this company, and blah, blah, blah. But you have a completely different approach, I think, when it comes to that. And you also work for one, I think, of the most important organizations that we have in Sweden, Vinova, to be able to really promote innovation in, in companies. So it's, uh, you know, innovation is actually one of my passions as well. And I think the most important thing we need to do in Sweden. So that's why. Yeah. I think so we have so many, many <laughs> topics that we want to talk to you <laughs> yeah. about. Uh, anyway, Daniel, very glad to have you here. And perhaps you should start still uh, with just a quick background about yourself. How would you describe yourself? It's better to listen to the string that bursts than to never stretch a bow. This is such a typical example. Now he's he now a completely now. different type of... <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. Say that again. It's better to listen to the string that bursts than to never stretch a bow. It's a classic poem from a Swedish um, poetry. Mm. And it was actually presented to me by my aunt in 2009. Oh. And the reason for that was that I finished four big projects. You know, I'd finished a Swedish classic. I'd done my PhD, finished that. We had built a house and got our first kid. Mm. So she, she thought that was a good representation of me. And for me, that sort of like captures what I want to do in life, you know, to do new things, learn that. Fresh a little bit more, yeah. more, more. And sometimes Fantastic. it does burst, it, sometimes it holds, you know, then you're in your comfort zone, obviously. Uh, but I have it sort of like a non-tech background, uh, having done an industrial management degree with a um, post, uh, uh, then uh, did my master's in Scotland, mm -hmm. uh, studying logistics and so forth. And then I, you know, as things happen in life, I, I went with my to-be wife to lean shopping, did my PhD in uh, project and product management. How do you develop complex products? Really mm. complex products. Uh, uh, laser writers, you've probably heard of the company Micronic in Tebe. You know, they delivered the um, equipment as used by all LCD production uh, manufacturers in the world, mm. but few have heard of them. And I did a contrast. I, I, yeah, you see the you see the light when you pass on Eafira North. Yeah, I think exactly uh, close to Tabby. Yeah, Micronic. Yeah, global so, company in Tabby. Yes. So I compared that to Scania. You know, some completely other 
companies because I think it's, it's one of the best tricks if you want to learn have the contrast. You have something small compared to something big. Yeah. If you have something that is very shiny compared to the darkness. Yeah. So there's sort of like things that have followed me through in in my career. So, um, but apart from that, I'm a big cross country skier. I like oh. you know, started to enjoy that. I was thirty or something. You know, when I did my um, classic, classic, and I got, just got hooked. You got hooked on it. So yeah. now you're happy because we've been minus fifteen today, or what what, <laughs> what? what did you wake up to? I think it was minus fifteen at yeah, Bender. So, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? You, you see the whiteness and. And now it's for the first time in five years, I can take my car just five minutes away during the lunch hour, do some um, six kilometers, something so like which, that. Which, which track are you going on then? Uh, Kungsingen. Kungsingen. Cl- close to, close. Le- uh, you know, to the army base there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, really good. You make me feel bad again because I have basically gained 10 kilos during Corona and uh, <laughs> have not been, you know, exercising. Maybe, maybe you're a new cross country fanatic that maybe, doesn't know yeah. about it. I, I heard it's very close to karaoke. <laughs> uh, uh, if really? you like karaoke, you should like cross country. I've never heard that, but okay. <laughs> if that's the case, then I'm all for it for sure. But as a challenge, Corona is on it, you know, at least, at least in the beginning, luckily for me, I had my, my watch you know, talking about AI mm-hmm. and it was sort of like reprimanding me saying that you're right. moving too little. Oh yeah, and step counter or stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. So now I realized I have to walk to work. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. every morning I walk 10, 15 minutes to work. And, and what, what does that mean? 10 around the block and back to your <laughs> kitchen table? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I'm a, a renting a space in my son's room. Uh, <laughs> two <laughs> crowns per week. <laughs> so I'm, I'm work. I'm, it sounded cool. I'm, I'm walking. T- I need to walk to work as well. That doesn't mean going down the stairs. It means going around the block. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. And and Dor, do you think the 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 reason that you actually are doing these type of exercises and having this kind of physical fit is helpful also in in work in other ways? Or would you would you encourage other people to do that type of you know keeping fit as you're doing? Yeah, certainly f- uh, f- for two reasons. For me personally, at least one is you know the health as such. Yeah. You know. It's proven by research that it has a positive impact on uh, relate, uh, handling stress right. and you know, sharpness and stuff like that. But for me personally, it also you know, gives me an interest to, to work with data. You know, I have some apps you know, where you can follow your trend curves and you know, try to un- understand you know, if I work in this uh, way, will I improve my, my speed or my stamina and so forth? So. Right. For two reasons, really. That's cool. You can become AI-driven by AI-driven by sports or <laughs> sports-driven by AI. I don't know. Awesome. So you then were in Linköping, which is a great university. <laughs> I did go there myself and did my PhD there as well. So that's uh, that's a nice place to be. And what happened after that for your sake? Yeah, so, so, so I, I, um, halfway through my PhD, uh, for some reason, my wife uh, decided to work in Stockholm, so we moved here, and that's the reason why I started, uh, you know, doing um, part of my research for my chronic because we moved nice. here, mm-hmm. and I also had that fortunate, to, you know, to have a, um, a management course for Scania on advanced project management. So I set up a base here, and then I did, uh, did a postdoc for Linköping University still, but then in the end, it was sort of like a hassle personally to go down there too often. So 
Then by chance, I was doing an ironing my shirt and my wife said, well, here's the ad, read it. I was like, oh. A job ad? Yeah, a job ad at Vinova, you know, ah, the Swedish Innovation know. Agency. And I read the title, it says something like, Handläggare, you know, in case of, <laughs> I was like, no way. I'm not, <laughs> it sounds dull, doesn't it? Turning papers and stuff like that. Yeah, the, so the job ad was not the height of sexiness, so to speak. Oh, not, not at all, <laughs> at least not in my opinion. <laughs> but I decided, well, I'll give them a call. Uh, I felt it was time for change anyway. So and when is this? Uh, 2011 yep. or, or late 2010. Yep. So, yeah. so I, I gave them a rang and, you know, super interesting, you know, working with innovation system, combining different actors, working in different fields. Because if you look at my background, both in terms of research and education, it's very much been on ba- uh, bu- uh, spanning different boundaries. You could say that I'm a ba- boundary spanner. Interdisciplinary, what <laughs> yeah. do you mean with that? Yeah, exactly. It could be organizational boundaries, could be a thematical disciplinary boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, for some reason, found it is very interesting to cross those different boundaries. Intersectional. Yeah. Multidisciplinary. Multidisciplinary. Yeah. But before we move into Venova, because that's interesting in itself, of course, and a lot of people would love, I think, to hear more what they really do and how they work and what you do there, etc. But I, I still would like to hear a bit more about your PhD and postdoc work and advanced project management. Yeah, I, well, I think so many people... That's an know, interesting angle, actually. Yeah. I think Even so for many, AI. In project management is super important, especially in AI. That's because what so many fe- fail with you know, different AI projects because it's very different, I think, from different engineering projects, etc. But if if you were to just elaborate a bit more, what your research like focus was within project management? How, how can you? What was your like speciality within project management? Yeah. So, so this is also sort of one of the challenges. You know, how do you distill that to mm. something very concrete, different models? Uh, but trying to explain it was very much on how can you make the prerequisites work if you're going to have a complex project, not just you know s- simple products such as a pen is one thing, but if something where you need input from R&D, from manufacturing and from service already from the start, mm. how can you enable that in an organization? What are the key things for a manager to think about? Uh, what are sort of like the theoretical constructs they need to be aware of. And one of those that are perhaps a bit fussy, if you're not into that, is, you know, what's knowledge? Mm. Uh, What does it mean that we have the same understanding of a concept? Is that important or not? Are there techniques where you can lure that out into the open so you have a discussion on that? And some, you know, very, very simple uh, examples of that could be that you only have one coffee machine. You know, everyone has to gather around that and you stimulate um, discussions because there are actually some uh, uh, research that shows that the interaction between different people uh, almost comes down to n- nil mm-hmm. if you're 20 meters away from each other. Right. So how can you How do you do it in Corona times then? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's difficult, isn't it? A complex project management, meaning interdisciplinary, meaning multi-agenda, yeah. meaning, you know, courtus, uh, a pull here, what happens here. Yeah, exactly. And, and com- also complex long development cycles, I guess. Exactly. And not just complex in terms of 
big number of parts, for example, big no- number of organizations involved, but also high level uncertainty. Okay. So, for example, uh, the customer needs might be hard to predict because it's such you know as a volatile market, for example, or is, you know have to set decisions very early on before you even know. You know what will the customer actually want, and how do you deal with that when the when they sh- keep changing? For example, it, it sounds like a perfect fit for AI projects where you have uncertainties in many different dimensions. Oops. Yeah, not only the model itself, but actually the project themselves. The project, so. model. Can but, we get the data? <coughs> but I still don't really understand. Uh, so it would be fun to just hear. You know. Can can you give some example, perhaps, of some project you did, some kind of hypothesis you tried to prove, or did you do some case studies, or how did you actually perform research in this field? I think it's super interesting. Yeah, so uh, a tiny example then, to make it very concrete, is that how do you ensure that what you learn from a project goes into the next project? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's some, can you... Uh, make him um, have mechanisms for that. Can you have uh, set up a process for that? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people find that you know you run into the next same problem on the next project and so forth. So uh, what I did was that I picked up a, a tool or a process for that mm-hmm. uh, that I uh, implemented in this uh, company. This was Micronics, right? Yeah. So it was Micron. I actually stole it from Scania because <laughs> they had tried it there. And uh, I, we did that. So basically what you do in this um, process is that first you, you get together the team, you uh, pinpoint what has happened during a timeline, no analytics whatsoever. You know, in this case, we use posits, set it up, you know, this was quarter one, quarter two, and so forth. And you can, um, so you go through the timeline and then you highlight what was the most important activities or happenings during this project. Do we agree or not? You know, uh, you have your pen and you highlight the most three most important for you and others, you do yours and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then we discuss this. No analytics really, but just what happened. And you do this by changing from individual reflection. So everyone put up their poses and then you discuss because otherwise you get you know, funneling into everyone thinking, thing, group thinking. Yeah. And after that, you highlight different analytical themes that you find are important, such as one heading could be, what were the pitfalls? You know, what, why didn't we achieve what we thought? What were the key success factors? Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had um, a third one was an open-ended one to lure out those things that are hard to determine, you know. So a reflection, how come that dot, dot, dot. Why do we always miss out on our budgets? Um, uh, to, 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 uh, to weed out even the harder, more obscure topics. Exactly. And then you do that also on an individual level and then on a group level. And then obviously the third step is, okay, what's the action points out of all this? And then if you do this on a regular basis, you will actually get a pattern. So for example, why do we always put out this reflection point or... Didn't we have this pitfall in in the last project as well? All right, we need to close the loop to the next project. So when you said this was a a tool, was it like a methodology or was it actually a tool you used as a framework, methodology of approach to to do retros in in one way? Yeah, so do do retros. And then the last step is look forward. Yes. 
So, but for me, it was a twofold, and obviously, it was interesting to know uh, to, to to test this tool at the project. So very much action-oriented research, but it was also a way to actually capture data on this project that I was studying, which are not easy to detect in um, reports, for example, or in logs or stuff like that. And, and I have to, I have to ask a leading question. It came out of Scania, so h- how does that? Was that tool part of their lean culture and their lean approaches in Scania, or, or how, how was it picked up, or how was it started in Scania? Was it an ex- experiment in Scania? You said you stole it from Scania. Yeah, at the time, at <laughs> least, it was part of stole their Stole is a wrong word. It's a wrong word. <laughs> Steal with pride. No, collaborate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, at, at the Inspired time, by. Yeah, certainly. Um, but at the time, it was part of their toolbox uh, at the R and D factory up at the hill. If you have been yes. to Scania, yeah, yeah. But because th- this to me is very close to Scania's heart on lean, yeah. Uh, to to have different approaches to to really rethink stuff, mm. which is very impressive. It's part of their DNA, I would say today. Yeah, yeah certainly, and it was part of you know how do we actually have continuous improvement in in our work. And what was quite interesting at the time was that they had this and done that, did that during the end of the project. But then what often happens with a project is that you, oh, you leave it and then you, perhaps you push it to, to the line organization and then a lot of things happen that you don't capture. So what they did was they call it at the time milestone 17 because in their R&D uh, process, they had 16 milestones. The 16 was project review, but then they had implemented a 17 one, which was project follow up. So that was done, uh, I think it was a year or two after the closure. And it was a great exercise that it often gave to newbies or new, new employees that, that had the time and needed to know about uh, the process as such. And they were really, you know, the best ones to look at from a, fr- in a fresh point of view. So I think that was a very interesting way to both introduce people, but also to ensure that, you know, what really happened to this and can we learn something in our project portfolio today? Before we move on, let's park one topic because I want to have a topic today where we say, uh, I'm going to put it out there as a cliffhanger. I think projects are dead. (laughs) I I don't think we need projects anymore. I think it's the curse of all evil. That's, uh, so let's let's have that as a cli- cli- cliffhanger, <laughs> and then I'll, I will explain myself later. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, to, to just final or close that kind of topic still with advanced product management. Um, and I guess in Venova, you see so many people fail in many times, and perhaps you can recognize, you know, why did it do it this way, etc. But if you were to give some advice to someone um, as an expert in product management, um, given, you know, what you have seen in so many examples now, what are the, the most you know, common mistakes people do and how could people try to avoid them going forward? I think the biggest one, uh, a bit subjective, uh, but my feeling is that we fail to, um, we don't fail often enough. Ah, good. Ah, oh, that already. Mm, you, yes. you, you're linking back <laughs> to my statement immediately, by the way. <laughs> well, let me explain. Uh, I often, at least when, you know, since because I'm, I fully agree with yeah. that one. I mean, it's a failing fast kind of idea. Failing fast. Hopefully that yeah. we should do more often for sure. Yeah. And I have something to say when I'm at conferences speaking to projects that we fund, I often say, if I don't hear 
any problems from your project, I think three things. Mm. One is you're hiding something. <laughs> yes. Uh, two, you haven't started yet. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. And the third one is you it's haven't on. taken the risk that no. was high enough. I, I was just waiting for you. We haven't stretched the bow. Exactly. <laughs> That's, the, That's the third one. And uh, it's so easy to go for incremental innovation or incremental mm. improvement, but... You know, that, that's oh. what, what our money is We for. need to park first principle. Yes, park yes, that one as well. Yes. Park it, park Just it. Just a second. Awesome. Um, okay, so, awesome, so your awesome. advice would be, you know, we need to be be brave enough to fail more often. Yes, recognize so, that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, a second advice would be to, you know, think about how can you measure your progress? Mm. Sometimes people get too stuck in, oh, we don't, can't get quantitative measures. Oh, it doesn't matter, does it? You can have, you know, a quasi-quantitative measures as well. So, for example, if you're doing a customer-oriented project and you have a prototype, well, one of the milestones could be, you know, capture all the customers, the important key stakeholders at customers, and they mm. do their thumbs up or down. Mm. And if it's, you know, thumbs up, well, we have, good, you know, yeah. we're it's on the right good track. Good enough uh, measure, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it's good enough, sometimes certainly not. Yeah. But at least think about, you know, what's your theory of change in, in this project? And so, yeah. so many useful. But this, this project topic, What is the definition of a project? Well, a classic one is that you have a you know clear uh, goal, yep. clear budget, yeah, and a clear time frame, and so it's something that is a bit special, you know, not in your ordinary processing. So we, we, the the project triangle. Yeah, have you heard about this? Yes. Yeah, we have all heard it, right? Mm. But for the listeners who hasn't heard it, we talk about you have the the, the budget constraint. You have the timing constraint and you have the sort of, what, what do we say, scope constraint, typically? Or goal or strength. Goal. Goal constraint. Yeah. Uh, so, so budget would then encompass resources mm -hmm. and capacity, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then sort of, you know, th there's something that needs to give typically in the, in the triangle. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I agree with that. From cool. Yeah, I think so many people need to be better at project management and I wish that were like a obligatory course in university or whatever kind of school mm -hmm. better way than it yeah. is today at least right? but, but the, yeah. the, the the it was meant as a joke uh, like uh, to provoke but i want to come back to this topic mm -hmm. because yeah, i no, think i've written it down yeah. so we'll yeah uh, let's, let's it. keep it <laughs> awesome let's move into vinova then yes and um, this is of course um yeah. let let uh, you this instead describe it how would you describe what vinova is and, and their vision and mission so to speak Yeah, so, so Vinova is a state you know, uh, agency, a uh, governmental agency for the innovation system in Sweden. Yeah. And uh, our mission is to enable you know, innovation that makes a difference to ensure that Sweden is a competitive force and is moving in a sustainable direction. And sustainable can be interpreted in many ways. Can be environmentally sustainable or economically sustainable. What's your definition of sustainable here? What's your thinking of what that means? Yeah, so I think that that framework with the three pillars uh, is quite good. You know, economic, social, and green. 
Yeah, classic sustainable definition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. ISO one is I good like to it. understand. Yeah, it's, it's if you want to do it more, yeah, if you want to do it more complex, perhaps you can have a, you know that we do with Agenda twenty thirty to try to break yeah. it down, and uh, it's, a, it's a very good framework, and it, you know it sets uh, the highlight on important different is- issues that are not just green or you know what, what do we mean by green, for example, mm-hmm. is water and so forth. The, the challenge sometimes as with Agenda 2030 and you, that you compartmentalize things, right. you know, you, sometimes it gets treated like 17 different goals that are distinct. But, so that's sort of like um, a good thing with the three pillars, simple, communicable, yeah. but su- not sufficient uh, as an operational tool. And for people that don't know how it's operated or funded, uh, this is government funded, right? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. And can you give some numbers? What's the the turnover, or how much do you invest per year, and things like that? And how many people are working there? And just mm-hmm. give some concrete numbers. Yeah. So we are uh, approximately 200 FTEs, full-time equivalents. We all use that. <laughs> I do too. FTEs. Oh my god. Can you repeat that? The, the, not the employees, but. Yeah, so so we are roughly 200 FTEs, or yeah. and most of them are full time employees. Yeah, so. Nita, do you use that term no. FTE? Yeah, FTE, of course, yes, but not. Do uh, you said something else than employees? Didn't you? FTE is full time equivalent, and uh, this equivalent. is enterprise yeah. speech. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so it so, includes part-time people and consultants oh, as well. Uh, no, 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 we no into FTX. No, just our own employees. So if you're an FTX, you're not the real person, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. FTC, FTE, FTC, FTX. Yeah. Oh so for God. 2029, uh, 21 this year, we have a, a budget in terms of funding projects or mm. initiatives, you should say, because mm. it's not just projects as such, is 3.6 billion Swedish crowns. Mm. That's, um, that's a good number, right? Yeah, so it's certainly a lot of money, and we're so glad we got an increase in the research and innovation bill in last right. autumn, or really it's the budget really, but it comes, so, stems from that. And and how does it work for from a governmental point of view? Vinova Vinova is sort of um, it's all money fund you know channels through Vinova. You know there there are several agencies like we have Rise as well and stuff like that. So what's what's the what's the Vinova focus or how does is it yeah. a difference? Can you put a label on? Yes, I think we have to distinguish with between those that operate in the system yes. and those that support and finance ah, the system. Nice. So Vinova and uh, the Research Council, mm. uh, Formas, uh, the Growth Agency, we are supporting and Just funding the system as such in different, easily put different maturity levels. The, mm. the Research Council is very much basic research. Formas in uh, in the f- different areas, more leaning towards basic research, but some applied research as well. And then Vinova is obviously innovation ex, uh, and so forth. Applied. Applied, really applied. And then uh, the growth agency is uh, more uh, dissemination, easily put, and a regional perspective on that. So what do we mean with uh, dissemination and regional perspective? So they have uh, something called, for example, DigiLifted, digital uh, lift or growth. Uh, so how can we ensure that it's 
things that are very much needed in the system, but it's not innovation. So for example, how can we get all manufacturing firms be more digital? It's not about innovation, really. It's about disseminating, ensuring that yes. tools and stuff like that no, are put into practice. And just to give the Swedish names for people that don't recognize that, research council, you mean Wetenskapsrådet, right? Indeed. Uh, and and uh, growth agencies till like Starkets? Yes. yes. And Vinova is Vinova. Vinova is Vinova. Growth agencies sounded cooler than Tillväxtverket, but no, no. It's hard sometimes to to understand. But uh, but actually, this is very important to understand the whole ecosystem. And I think that's something that we, that's why this is really interesting. Mm. When we've had the the different, uh, we were talking about the AI ecosystem, so to Mm. speak. So, and how can we move Sweden? And how can I as a startup or how could I as a company tap into this? And I think I don't know this and and I know quite a bit. And I, I assume my colleagues don't know so much about this. So this is really good uh, to get this overview. And I think it's also one of the most powerful and best ways for politicians to actually try to support innovation yes. and really promote economic growth and sustainable growth, you call it that perhaps instead. So I think people should be more aware of this. And I really like mm. that they increased the bill, as we said recently as well. Um, yeah, it was yeah. Inc- How much was it increased? Roughly? Uh, for us, if I remember correctly, 550 million Swedish crimes. That's mm-hmm. substantial. Yeah, substantial and uh, much needed. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting if you look at innovation policy, how that has changed throughout time. And mm-hmm. that gives you some perspective of our role. Because if you look at the first generation, it was very much, you know, hands off from the state, you know, should be market driven if it doesn't operationalize, if it doesn't fly, that's it. Then we sort of like in the next generation, it was realized, well, things that needs to be done doesn't always happen by themselves. We need some state um, intervention to Speaking improve about, the yeah, system. And that's an interesting point, state intervention. How, how like autonomous are you as an agency in Vinova? I guess you have at least some different bills or departments like uh, research and innovation and, and other parts that are given separate budgets or? Yes, so we uh, receive one budget okay. and uh, compared to a lot of other countries. So, for example, I visit Austria and Japan mm-hmm. and so forth. We are very much autonomous in Sweden mm-hmm. for good and for bad. I think it's good in terms of trusting uh, the civil servants that they have the ears to the ground and have discussions and they know what needs to be prioritized. The problem, obviously, with the Swedish system is the fragmentization. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we have a lot of initiatives that are bottom up, which is really good in terms of, you know, building on commitment, engagement from the actors, from companies, from the public sector and so forth. The problem is sometimes... Uh, and that brings us to the third generation of innovation policies. How can you get directionality? You know, everything that is happening uh, on a you know a micro level is not necessarily moving us as a country in the right direction. Could be big gaps in terms of how could we miss this technology development and so forth. Mm-hmm. So we not must not just improve the system itself. Sometimes we must transform the system. And but, that's but one part of ex- understanding Vinova now, I'm not sure if uh, I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying in the context of Vinova, uh, 
I, I really think we should explore innovation policy and it's our, our Ivinova uh, uh, innovation policy setter or executor or facilitator, because I think Vinova is a key player, at least mm. in the scope of innovation policy in Sweden. So could we, could we understand the innovation policy part? What, what do we mean with that? What, what is it? Because I think you have a very, very, very good grasp of this. And I think I don't, yeah. and I want to learn. Yeah, certainly. And uh, very easy answers. We don't set policies. As simple as that, that yeah. as yeah. the government. That's the government, right? So sure. just to make it, I mean, this is yeah. a good topic, right? Government mm. set policy, and then you are the agency, so to speak. Yeah, so so sometimes we can get tools to work with that. So for example, some we have done policy labs sometimes mm. to support, because we're Recommendations not- Recommendations yeah, of so policy we, setting. Yeah, because we're sort of like, we're not doing, so for, if, for example, if you take the, yeah, what's, what's, um, what's, uh, if you look at the finance, uh, uh, financial sector, for example, we can see and detect that there's a need for innovation, policy innovation here, but we are not an actor as such in that system. But what we can do is to support the agency that are in charge of that area and help them to be more innovative to set up a policy lab, for example, because mm -hmm. that's a concrete example. Um, because one of the critique towards that agency a few years ago was that, oh, you don't understand the fintech, the startups, the, the change that is happening in the financial sector with these fast moving uh, companies with new services. You don't understand us and the regulation is not suited for us and so forth. So what we did was that together with that agency, we set up a policy lab uh, because we have the methodology for that and we had some funding for that mm. agency. Uh, so let's get together, set up a process for how can we interact with those so you can understand the needs. And if need be, you can poke them towards the, uh, the government for new regulation. So that's one so, example. So, so you are then f orchestrating or facilitating, I should say, that whoever, whatever agency should make policy in some area, but they don't maybe have the know-how from an innovation space, that you, you help them to shape it because you have the methodology how to go about it. And yes. maybe you have to... Okay. But, but I, what do we mean with innovation policy? Sorry, uh, I'm stupid. What is innovation policy? is really the rules that sets the game. And sometimes it's, you know, the rules and regulation as such, mm -hmm. are they uh, supporting innovations mm -hmm. such as procurement rules, for example? Interesting. That's one aspect of it. Another one could be, um, which is a pure innovation-oriented uh, regulation that some uh, countries use. Uh, one of the most uh, perhaps easiest examples to raise is sandboxes. So sometimes we don't want innovation in, with the rules in, in the actual operations because, well, let's think this through. Rules and regulations are there for a reason. We don't want it to be, you know, the full storm in, in the actual market. So sometimes what governments do is they set up a sandbox saying that in this particular area, uh, with this particular project or this particular set of rules, you are allowed to go outside of that An experiment. Box, an experiment. 
And that is implemented quite differently. But one example could be in housing, uh, where we see that there's a need for different kind of houses, but the rules they are quite explicit in terms of the space that you need to move around for um, for good reasons, for wheelchairs and so forth. But sometimes it makes it impossible to you know to build small flats cheap. So that would be one way to let's say. Oh, we we allow you to within this site uh, move around these rules to experiment and do research and test, and if it works out, then we might change the rules. So that's called a sandbox and the different kinds of sandboxes. So, so this is examples of innovation policy or basically mm-hmm. policies of how it's okay to innovate, but in a safe way, but still allow innovation. Yes, something like this. Yeah, cool. Um, speaking more about you know, you have a bod- budget. You are working rather autonomously, but if we get concrete and take some area, let's say AI, <laughs> why not? <laughs> and I, as far as I understand it, you have increased a bit of the focus in that area a bit. But let's say that politicians now, or the government, or someone say we really want to increase the level of innovation that happens within the area of AI. What can they do? Uh, with respect to Vinova, can they come and ask you to focus more on this, or how does it work? Yeah, first of all, just to be clear that we have a good relation, so we have a lot of discussion in terms of uh, because what we as an agency, to be honest, want to avoid is to get a, 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 an assignment in writing if we can have this open discussion. Right. Yeah. Well, obviously, what they can do is to give us assignments saying that you should fund. For example, 50 million Swedish crowns in this area, mm. or you should do a report investigating this or that. Mm. Uh, so one uh, example of that was uh, in 2018, was it when they said, uh, mm. "Here's a government assignment that you should do an, uh, a report on the state of affairs in the in the field of AI." Mm. Yeah, together with. Then you and Dig and a couple of more. This was before Dig. Yeah, this uh, was before Dig. Yes, yeah. a big report that uh, yeah, you, you basically said you, if you use AI correctly, you could double the econ- economic growth, right? Yes. Um, so there was one uh, example, and after that, they did a national approach on AI, and uh, and following that was that led me to set up um, our more focused initiative on AI. So, uh, and when, when you say focused initiative. Uh, how is Vinova constructed? So, how do you execute on your mission? Mm-hmm. Like uh, some organizations, some portfolios. How does it work? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just start in our current organization yes. because we reorganize. <laughs> and, um, yes, everyone is doing. Yeah, that, yeah. everyone is doing. So we have ten different areas. Yeah. One, uh, five are more challenge oriented, and five are more enabling. And each of those areas do a system analysis and do a strategy, Uh, looking at data, speaking to stakeholders, reading other reports and so forth, and then discussing with other agents. And then we're setting a strategy. What's the role of Vinova in this area? And what's the the areas we're talking about? So I assume AI is one area now, and we are referring to other areas of innovation, or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, if you look at the more challenge-oriented one, one is sustainable societies, one is sustainable industry, sustainable mobility, sustainable food, 
And uh, so, so it's five of those. Mm. And then the enabling one uh, is, for example, transformative public sector and civil society. Uh, Very easy name, right? Uh, <laughs> Maybe a good acronym, transformative. <laughs> Not even Public that. sector, yeah. simply. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and one of them is digital transformation. And AI is a part big, important part of this that. umbrella. Yes. So we are, so we are, as uh, AIW podcast is part of the enabling portfolio mm. in the digitalization or digital transformation uh, bucket, AI. Yes. Okay. But and, you, yeah. and you said you, you actually did some extra focus on that. Can you just mm. elaborate a bit more on what you tried to do to, to increase mm. the focus on AI a bit? Yeah. So we did this report, big report on yes. AI showing that, you know, this is the potential when we did a review of our own portfolio. And what we saw was that in almost all pro- program or, you know, initiative, you could, regardless if we were talking about mobility, food, and so forth, you could see that there's a lot of AI going into that area. But my, in, my view on that was there was a lot of you know, applying AI rather than developing AI. And what at least I saw, you know, when I got this report, uh, when I read it, and then when I was given the task to set up, you know, what's the strategy for us in terms of AI, I saw that there was a lot of uh, gaps there, you know, things that were important for the application areas, but not important enough to be picked up, where we need to not just use AI, but develop it. And the most um, obvious example of that was natural language processing. <laughs> and uh, even though I may not have told you, Anders, <laughs> I, I, you know, during the years when we have, uh, have had different conversations, that has been uh, part of my it, agenda it to worked, ask, ask different <laughs> questions. Yeah. So we saw that that was a gap. So we need to do something about that. Uh, so that's why... And um, so we set up, you know, super simple strategy. We saw that we need to not focus too much on business to consumer because that's happening by itself to a large extent, but rather in a sustainability. So that's the core, really. Now we saw that there's a problem with data and infrastructure. No surprise there. Uh, There's a problem with the innovation capability uh, or competence. Uh, and there's a problem that we fund basic research, namely WASP, a lot, but doesn't really get into innovation to the extent that we would like. So can, can we accelerate research into innovation? So that was the three building blocks. And then when, when we did that, we saw that NLP or National Language Processing was you know, important to have in terms of expanding that from research to practice. So we funded projects on that. Then on the data and infrastructure side, we have financed the Swedish uh, data language lab because you can't just have projects. Things uh, need to land somewhere. The knowledge needs to be institutionalized, saved, if you like. And how do we do that? A data lab is a good example. And then in terms of, uh, you know, building capacity, we saw that there's uh, too few organizations that do real operational AI projects. They might do chatbots for some organizations good, for others not. But they don't really do that in a, in a too few organizations have been tried. So we let, so one of the initiatives that we started there was, you know, start your AI journey 
where we said that um, small and medium-sized enterprises as well as public organizations, you can apply for doing your first practical AI project where you have identified a strategic business need where AI can be used. And just to, if someone is listening right now and they say, they're thinking, you know, this sounds really interesting, I'd like to, to get part in that and start my AI journey. What do they really do? Should they go That's to the website? How does they, it work? How do they find, find the actual call? I guess, it's, mm. is it open right now? How do they practically do if, if someone wants to try you know, the journey into AI, so to speak? Yeah, I think at the moment we don't have a call that is open on that. Uh, but what they could do is to a contact an you know a good organization that has experience. Well, Peltarin is one. They could send, you know hook up to AI Sweden, yeah. for example, and organizations such as that. Uh, and we have also done uh, a review of the first 30 organizations that did their first AI journey. So that report is available as well. So read through that. But I think that the key lesson really is to start with a real problem or a real opportunity in your organization. But but let's go go in here because we are assuming the people knows what a call is. We are assuming they have ever been to the Vinova website. We have a, we have an uh, assumption that they have any clue how to get money out of you know. You got three point five billion. I want uh, half a million. What do I do? How do I do it? Yeah, good question. And I think it's uh, the easiest thing is really. You don't, don't bother about things that I said before in terms of areas, but go to our website, look at the different calls. Which what, we call what is it. a call? Yeah, so a call is a setup where we say that you can, if you're this or that kind of organization, you can apply for this amount of money doing this. Uh, and typically a call has a fundamental theme. So there, mm. there's something, that part of the agenda What from policy we want to improve on gets framed down into a call where money is set aside. And then basically, uh, if you wanted to work on federated machine learning type problems, there is a call for this. Yes. So maybe we should have a look at the web page. It's a good one. Perhaps you can search for the federated learning testbed. I think that's the proper name for the call, yep. even though it's maybe yeah, So it's a concrete example, right? Yeah. Um, yes, let's see if we can find it or... Is it another call that you'd prefer? Uh, I, I, yeah, I think I wouldn't go that way. I would actually go straight into the Vino Vinova website and how would I orientate myself if, I, if I'm really yeah, curious? Then we have a good example. So this is one of the calls that perhaps been closed, but... Yeah. No, it's still okay. Open. Oh, okay. Now, this is the actual project. So if you ah. go back to vinova.se. Yeah, so let, let, let's let's go in here. I, I'm, I'm listening to this podcast and I get super ex excited and I think this is super cool, but I never really tapped into this world before. Yeah. And obviously you can read about Vinova, but you wouldn't bother about that no. in this instance, right? No, we, we just want money. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Come so, on, show me the money. So you scroll down. Where's the money? And you see, stop, <laughs> right now, 34 calls for proposals available. Ooh. Now, calls means money, right? Yeah, that means applying for money. This is and, a course, it's a call to apply to be part of projects. So just to clarify, it's not call for money, it's call for a support. Yes. Okay, so we need I'm, to be a little I'm bit politically sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, we're, we're yeah. off to work. I, I, I'm joking. So I hope everybody can take that. 
So here you can see everyone that is either open or uh, forthcoming. So for example, if you look at, oh, individual mobility for applied AI research 2.0. Mm. So in this, you can apply for staff exchange. So this is not for a, an, an actual ah. project as such. This is either importing someone to your organization if you like if i'm crude super cool or you can uh, send someone in your organization abroad to learn more so it's yeah. not it's actually different ways how you can get support not only money we're talking yeah. now is also ex an exchange this is very important I very think, cool i think this is a topic by itself because uh, we were talking about talent, talent yeah. and ai and we believe that is the, the key so let's move on right yeah I think also the, the actual calls from Innova, if you compare that to a lot of other funding organizations that do exist, both in Sweden and especially yeah. if in the US way or better in than, Europe. Way, way better than I, most. I must say that the actual funding, funding process and the application process is actually surprisingly simple. What's your thinking behind you know, how, how to make that process as simple as you have made? Mm. It, it's yeah. really a long journey. Uh, yeah. You said that you worked quite a bit. This was your, your last GD's focus was to get this smooth, yes. which is a fantastic focus, by the way. And perhaps you could call it as, you know, the factory, really. You know, our key mission here is to ensure that our money makes a difference. And one part of that is to ensure that it's easy to apply, you mm. know, you know, how easy we can make it is another thing because there are rules that we have to yeah, abide yeah. to yeah. as easy as possible, but also as clear as possible. Yes. You can see a shift there if you go back 10 years and look mm. at the language that we used mm. compared to now. It's been mm. more simplified and we're really trying. It's obviously hard to ensure that everyone understands what we mean and so forth. And, 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 and it is a difference. I, I know in Peltarion and you, you have, you have a pa academic background as a PhD and you, in academia, people are used to applying for grants to get their PhDs, but I don't have that, but I'm an entrepreneur. I have some great ideas. I really want to work in collaborative ways. And I think I am a perfect fit for this, but it's a fairly big hurdle for me who is even not a dumb guy. But I'm not academically trained in these. It, it is a hurdle. It certainly is. So this is um, great what yeah. you're trying to do. I mean, like to make it simpler is really, really important. And also the ling language. Yeah, we're I, certainly trying. Nice. And one of the important questions that you raise now or topic is really the target group. Yes. Because sometimes we do target researchers and then it's a different ball game, isn't it? Yeah. So one good example of that is the innovative startups, mm. which is a you know fourth uh, coming call. That touche, right? Yeah. That is not typically academics. Maybe. Certainly not. And what we really are trying to do there is to ensure that the questions that we pose mm. is important for us in terms of evaluating, but also that they can help the startups themselves. So to, to you know, think. Yeah, to think. If they don't get the funding, at least they have improved their idea. Their plan for how to execute so you, on that. So you, if you do it smart, you help them sharpen their pitch. Yeah, certainly. And speaking about how to make an application, I think a lot of people would love to hear your yeah, examples tricks, of love to win. And the good and bad you examples. You know, you, you've probably <laughs> seen a lot topic. of... <laughs> let, let, get, let me get my notebook. <laughs> I really want to get this right. How, do, no, how, how, how many actual calls do you review yourself? Uh, record you? it. <laughs> Goran, me and Goran, we, we are we've been looking at this and we don't get anything. Record this now. Are you doing it? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, uh, and to be honest, this is a, a tricky area to go into. Not in terms of that, you know, I can have a, a lot of, uh, you know, advice, but it's easy to get judgmental or disrespectful without meaning it. Mm. Because obviously there's a lot of hard work be- behind these. Each application. Each application. Even though we might, I wouldn't say frowned upon, but we can see that certainly not good enough to get funding. Mm. So that, that's, that's true. But my first advice would be just pick anyone that you don't know from the street and ask them, can I explain my pitch to you in 90 seconds? And if they understand, then you're onto something. This is what we saw so last week. We talked about uh, the bar. It, the bar test, yeah. The bar test. It's mm. exactly really true. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, you know, what Einstein says or Feynman says, you know, if you can't explain a topic to a person that's not familiar to it, you actually don't understand it yourself. No, it, it I think so it's really true, true in, in so many ways. Painful okay. when you're, when you're start, starting something new and you know it really well and you can sell it when you get, you know, 10,000 words. It's like, like, mm-hmm. yeah, but ask me to explain it in 1,000 words. Yeah. Then you need to be really on top of it. Yeah, certainly. And the next step would be to explain it to a colleague or someone that knows the area. Mm -hmm. And if you can convince them or at least, you know, make them understand why this is important Mm. without too many objections. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that, that's a challenge because the more innovative or risk-taking you are, the yeah. more objections there will yeah. be. So differentiate between understanding objections and operationalize or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. And then uh, something as simple as never write an applica- application by yourself. Right. No matter how smart you are or how good you are at writing, you will always fall down into you know being blind to your own text. That's a great advice. And it's so, how do, and so what do you mean? A friend or even someone who has, even better, someone who's written it before, uh, who knows how to write applications? That would be my advice. Because I'm, I, I get really intimidated. I, I, I must say, I get intimidated. I've been looking at a couple of them. Now I'm going to write it. And then for some reason, I find excuses not to do it. For, to me, this is intimidation or something that makes me not, what do you call it? Put, stretch your bow in yeah. this particular area. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I don't think I'm the only one who thinks like this because I don't know it. It's very far outside mm-hmm. my comfort zone. And I think you, you can use different techniques there. Personally, if I would do it, I would do, you know, one PowerPoint uh, picture. Yeah. Because if you can get the concept in, in order, then you can start writing. Oh, so so you, you like a process where you actually try to make a pitch deck yeah. in PowerPoint because then you understand the disposition sort of yeah. thing. And then you try to, okay, what would I have said to this PowerPoint? And then you keep capture wordings like that. Yeah. And so personally, mm-hmm. I would start with the result and then the introduction because those are the most important part. You know, the transportation uh, between those. And what is result and what is introduction in, in a good application? What should be in there, typically? So really, what will you achieve? I wouldn't stretch it too far ahead. Sometimes you get people talking about five, ten years ahead. It's good to have that vision. Mm. But what, what, what is the project? Well, if I yeah. get this funding, what, what will I reach? What's the result out of this funding? Yeah. 
Cool. And um, I'm actually a Vinova reviewer myself, and I, I've been um, yes, going through that a number of times. And I remember one example, I saw this awesome application, and I thought, oh, this is a perfect idea, I love it. Unfortunately, it didn't match the call at all. <laughs> and it was so annoying. I, you know, I was trying to convince the other people, you know, you can see this is how, you know, super high impact, you know, we should, you know, it may not really explain, you know, how it matched the actual call, but you see the point and everyone, yeah, but, mm. you know, this is not the right call for it. Sorry. That's sad, isn't it? It's, it's super frustrating. So, so this is right? important also to truly match. Okay. So h- how do I read the call to, tr- what are, what are the triggers where I understand I mean, like, I need to know how to read, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but the call to me, like, I, 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 oh, that's almost right. But you, you, you need to be quite sharp on the target of the call. Yeah, and I think you know, an important question to pose to yourself is that: Is it worth it? If if I don't get funding, is it worth putting in this um, effort? Effort. And if the answer is, you know, the, outcome, the call is not yeah. really sharp, so yeah. I, I'm, I'm winging it. No, then it's not. But, oh, this is my call. Then, of course, it would be worth it. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, one of the, you know, really, uh, at least in my opinion, and I probably reviewed, I don't know how many thousand applications now. Yeah. uh, The most common mistake, really, is not to use the spacing in a good manner. Obviously, different calls have different setups, but... What you often see if uh, there's in, in a section on what's the background, what's the state of the art, and they a lot of people when they apply, they explain the idea as such, but there's a different section for that, and you haven't really positioned your idea by comparing your idea to the state of the art or state uh-huh. of practice. So they haven't done their homework in some way to really compare to what's out, out there otherwise and do the background and, research. And the format yeah. is such to really mm. follow the, for, to really understand yeah. what this section's purpose is all about is to compare and contrast. Now you, yeah. now here is where you tell your story. I have a question. Is there a best practice that people can actually get from Vinova? So for example, this is how you do a pitch. This is how you do a slide deck. This is a nice deck. This is a good example of a winning. Because we, we can understand that not many people are are, are um, um, as you said, like comfortable or not versatile in order to create those type of... Uh, you get the difference between you sending a proposal and sending a, a Ramaftal, right? Like mm-hmm. a... Like RFQ. A, oh yeah, it's, 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 it's a mastery by itself, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm kick-ass so, so for So do you Ramaftal. have any, you know, you need to help some. <laughs> Otherwise, they need to hire lawyers to write that. And that is 20,000, mm-hmm. 30,000, 40,000 crowns, right? Yeah, it's a tricky question because on the one hand, I would love to say, yes, this is sort of like how you do it, um, more in an operational term. Mm-hmm. But there's also a big uh, pitfall there because yeah. if you follow someone else's recipe, mm-hmm. you might, A, be devi- deviating from your ID or you know the best way to do your project or your application. Yeah. And you might also deviate from the actual call because that you know it's different between different calls really how you write a good application for an innovative startup and how you write a good application in terms of we are 15 organizations that are going to cooperate by building this awesome data lab something different but the general you know tips in general and ideas, yes uh in with other than that what we have you know said so now ensure that you actually answer the questions and so forth classic 
but there's a lot of you know general advice out there you, that you can find. You know, what's a yeah. good pitch? Yeah. You know, A, B, C. You can find that. Yeah. But what I would perhaps state that is not so obvious that uh, a lot of um, applications fall on is how do you position your idea? Mm-hmm. A lot of them have great ideas, but you know, if I Google for five minutes, I can often find, well, there's five solutions already out there, mm-hmm. or there's already 1,500 research articles or... Uh, 500 patents on this topic. So I think, you know, uh, have a structure in the way that you do your, uh, you know, your review of, of both state of the art in terms, and for me, that's research and state of the practice. You can do that by just Googling or using uh, PRVs, the Patent Bureau of Patents. They have a great tool where you can you know, so it really shows that you understand or are humble about your idea in the context of the world. It, yeah. Yes, but, but it's, it's of course it's, it's, um, But it's a, it's a little bit of like, a, um, it, you're not helping them if you provide the general guidelines, okay? Because if the person can, if the idea is bad, you will see it, right? But not many people will actually start, um, um, okay, if you sit and uh, Google and find like five competitors, of course they should be the, the do the business canvas from the beginning, right? But in the same time, there will be a lot of uh, minimizing time for your review. If people actually, you give them guidelines, they're like, hey, if you find that five people are actually, you know, doing this, you should state that. So at least you know, right? So you don't have to Google that. So I don't think that there is something wrong is actually providing general counsel and how they should look like, but not the specifics because bad idea is a bad idea. Good idea is a good idea, right? Yes. Yeah. Just because, I mean, we, we, we get speakers, right? And it took like two years for us to create like a form that will make them to sharpen up their um, speaker offerings. So a title, subtitle, what is this conference, what is this session all about? Key takeaways for whom it is. Uh, is it a business, technical, or 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 uh, organization-wise? So just basically to guide them to structure it, because when I read it, I immediately know. Okay, this is not for us. This is good for us. So it's basically a health tool for you as well, somehow. And not many people are very sharp to actually do that. Imagine you're a twenty-five-year-old. You have a great idea, but you don't know how to structure this. Perhaps it could be a new service for Vinovo or something to have yeah. like a trainee school or something or template, how to write an application AI how to pitch your idea. But many or people something. would pay yeah. for it. I would pay for it. Yeah. I would even pay for it too. I would pay for it. But there are, you know, as, as you said, there's uh, actors on the markets. There's a balance oh, between, okay. you know, are we going to be both, uh, uh, you know, yeah. the accusator, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the judge and the defender. That's a good one. Sense. That's a good, uh, you need to find your spot as well. Cool. And I love the phrasing you said, you know, state of the art, we all know, you know, and basically connected to research in many use cases. But I haven't heard about the state of the practice kind of thing. But that's I really like that concept. That's a good uh, one. So it's a good Good term. Any upcoming calls that you feel extra excited about that uh, you can perhaps talk about? Um, well, obviously, as I mentioned before, we're in a strategy process now. Um, personally, with respect to AI, um, I would love to see, and we are in the planning phase. I can't say it's not confirmed, 
But we are looking at data labs because mm-hmm. that has been, in my opinion, something very important. So we're looking at two tracks there. One is we have 16 labs that are up, yeah. up and running, or at least they're working. Uh, can we um, do something to accelerate those, especially those with big potential, to make sure that they're not just you know good, but excellent? So that's one track. Another one is to look at, all right, we have these 16 labs. What are we missing in the portfolio? So one example, which l- links to another track, is um, I, AI in the service of the climate. Climate, yeah. So we have that call with formats that is upcoming. It's more research-oriented. But there's, uh, you know, um, what we can see is that there's always a challenge with data, isn't it? Yeah. But good climate-related data is one that we could, uh, you know, benefit from. So that's, I think that's one example where we would like to see. I think the data labs are really great, but uh, if I were to give some advice, you know, it's also about, you know, how to truly operationalize them. I mean, how to take, even if you have a data set, it's not sufficient sometimes. Even if you have a model, it's not sufficient sometimes. Even if you have a code base, it's Mm -hmm. not really sufficient, but to really learn and be able to, you know, understand the best practices, so to speak, of how to, bring value into your organization. Yeah, I think a lot let, of let's, let's, are let's take 10 minutes to pitch. What are the, now we flip it a little bit because <laughs> we pitch him. We pitch, we, we we, him. We, we, let's, let's discuss a couple of topics. Why don't we have calls on this that is completely missing in the opinion of Henrik and Anders? Oh, you know, we have so many topics. You, you spent an hour already <laughs> just speaking about Vinova here. No, but I mean, like I, I, I let me pitch one then. Okay. Bring it on. <laughs> you know, and, and Anders, you know, if, I, I don't even, I, I'm used to putting the knife where Anders started to rip it. <laughs> Operationalizing AI is so much more than data, mm. open data and models. And, and uh, you know, you can have a, a week's discussion on operationalizing AI, what that really means. And we have already understood that it's quite f- much more than the model itself. So the whole idea that, oh, I need to do, I need to hire data scientists to do a model. That was sort of, uh, for the people who's been in the, in a journey, we are past that in 2016. Most of the people in Sweden has not passed that, by the way. And then we have people are talking about, oh, you need to have all this stuff in around data engineering. So you need to understand how you operationalize AI. And this is where the conversation is right now, you know, and we talk about data ops, you know, so we're talking about not the open data or data lab, but actually what are the ways of working and processes? And then we come to the next level where actually that is not enough either because you need to operationalize AI from a business perspective. How do you commercialize AI? And, and the core topics that we end up with is that this is a huge interdisciplinary topic, number one. Number two, Forget about driving this as a project because it doesn't work like that anymore. It works, you know, continuous learning and iteration. It's about drip feeding and maturing. So it's a completely different operating model. It's a completely different governance. So, you know, I, I can go on forever, right? So, I know. <laughs> so I stopped there. So where is, where is the topics, you know, how you apply for topics that really makes a difference so I can take AI on? So there's not a technology problem we have in Scania or Volvo or in Micronic. It's 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 a fundamental ways of working problem we have. It's an orchestration problem we have, and I haven't seen one single call on the orchestration problem. 
that's the real problem in my opinion. Mm, so that was my mm. Well what we have done I can say because I, I <laughs> totally agree and that was one of the reason why we just before summer um, uh, made um investigation into that. So we have funded some researchers at Chalmers and uh, Mälardagens högskola to look into innovation management practices mm-hmm. in relation to AI. Because if, if you look at that area, they're really just separated in terms of research, aren't they? Yes. You know, AI and innovation management. We really need to start linking that together. Yes. And one interesting example I heard of, because when we did our elements of AI at Vinova, mm. we did a study circle on that, invited external guests. And one of them was from Arbetsförmedlingen, the employment agency. Uh, no, it was Försäkringskassan. Was. Mm. So it was so interesting to hear about this connection between technology and management mm. because they had digitalized a lot of their services. So, for example, if your kid is sick, mm. you can do it that yourself, right? So what you saw, that, uh, you know, a lot of people in all ages of group had a uh, bank EDM mm. so they could do that. And the number of calls that went into the first line support went down rapidly mm. so all of a sudden you have i think it was 1100 uh, employees in the first line support that was de- dealing with devilishly difficult questions because the easy ones they could solve themselves now they have all the hard questions so now they had to reorganize in terms of well let's reduce the first line support and bring them back uh, uh, reskill them uh, bring in technology to the first line support with the help of AI. And they haven't sold this yet, so they can get automatic trans, uh, transcription of the, the actual discussion with the client to get suggestions on what questions to pose and then get you know direction to what are you know the key documents to look at. Obviously, they're not there, but it's a good example of you know that interrelation. But it, I think this is, uh, sorry for being a little bit like this, but it's uh, this is a true passion. If you want to operationalize AI, you need to put this in context. So then we need to have other types of funding for other types of learnings. But let, maybe we, we yes, go. Yes, I think we go, have so many topics to, we wish to yes, bring so up. We, we need will to, never manage to cover them all. But, yeah. you know, we let's go a bit back to basic, I think. And perhaps, you know, we've been speaking about innovation for a long time. But do you have a... Pref- preferred definition of what in, in, uh, innovation really is? I tend to, tend to go to the four N's in Swedish. Four N? Yeah. So let's take it in Swedish first, oh, right? Okay. It should be something nytt. Nytt. It should be something nyttigt. Nyttigt. Och det ska nyttigöras. Nyttigöras. Och det ska vara en nyhet. Nyhet. What do you mean with that? What is nyhet? Ah, what's that? It's timing, isn't it? Yeah, timing. Mm. Is it uh, nytt en nyhet? Uh, no, no, no. It's not a thing. It should be something new, right? Yes. Fresh. It could be really new. But it's but a window of opportunity. It's a window of opportunity. You have to be ready for now. It should not be something shit. that's up for 10 years. It should be something yeah. that works today. No, I mean, yes. like, so I, I want yeah. to do training in uh, deep learning. I tried to sell it in, in two years ago. Not so many. They wanted Power BI training. So the window of opportunity, not really for a mass market deep learning course. Uh, for me, that's just a way of framing it. That You have to think about, you know, how do we either 
create that window of opportunity yes. or at least try to spot it. Yes. The timing is the timing of anything is quite important. But but let's let's now translate them because they are fantastic by the way. Say them again and I try to find. Okay. Ah. Say so, okay. Go ahead. You, you go. <laughs> no, no. I'm a nitsedan, so it should be something novel or new. Novel right? or new. Yeah. Should be nitit, so useful. I useful, guess. right? So now we go building an acronym. Nitigjoras. No. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what that should be. Uh, Nitigjoras. So how do you translate useful. that? Useful. Useful. About that. Put into nitid. practice. Put into practice. Thank Put you. into practice. So noop. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's it's go. It's going let's to go. be a bad acronym. <laughs> bad acronym. And. N- nuhet, um, so window of a- actual or is it something uh, no, relevant for today? I, 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 t- timing. T- time, yeah. time, timing. I think that's t- time. Time. Yeah. Uh, timing. Yeah, could be. Timing. Timelable. Timelable. <laughs> Obviously, I'm playing with words in Swedish <laughs> because it gets yeah, yeah. four m. So, what about nuppent? Novel, useful timing and put in practice. Yeah, something like that. Operationalized. Operationalized, yeah. Go back to operationalized. Used to use that. Uh, We have already sort of talked about that. And obviously there's a lot of innovation models if you want to dig deeper in terms of is it new for your organization, new to the sector, new to the world, you know, is it radical or incremental? Is it technical or is it a process or service or what so there's different ways to if you want to you know dig deeper but i think you know that framing initially is sufficient but, enough for but, most but is innovation okay so let's let's now dissect this a little bit because let's now say let's talk about the words innovation let's talk about the word improvement and let's talk about the word research so on the one hand what is the difference between r&d research is that innovation or not you know, does that fit the same criteria? And then this incremental improvement we are doing, we are, we are, is that innovation? I guess in one way it is, or do we have a diff, do we distinguish innovation differently in, in relation to research and improvement? I would suggest so, yes. So research for me, if, if you look at it from a sort of like a true sentence, is about generating new knowledge. That new knowledge in itself could be, you know, done in a in a in a new way then it's perhaps innovative but then when you take that knowledge and put it into practice then it's when it turns from an invention or a good idea into some you know an innovation so innovation has some it's it's closer to applied in practice putting something an innovation should go into practice while research is could be for learning to then put the innovation into practice mm. is something like this i'm not sure yeah Yeah, I like what you said in definition of research. I think that's a better one, or a very good one in general. The, the goal or the purpose for research yes. is really to build knowledge. Yes. And the purpose for engineering or development is to build a product. Yeah, and, in, and, and inno- the purpose of innovation is nupum. But I think that innovation can happen both in research and yes. engineering. So it's like another dimension. Yeah, it's, it's, so of it's, course, they are all uh, intermingled. Uh, and, but w- but is, is improvement not innovation? Generally speaking, I would suggest no, because that's more of a continuous operation, continuous improvement. That's what I link that word to. Yeah. So your daily operations, you know, how can you improve that? Often small adjustments, and you can have that extremely process-oriented. Whereas innovation is about trying at least to take a bigger leap 
you know, taking a bigger step. I hate to, to bring up the Henry Ford uh, quote again, you know, the faster horse kind of thinking. Yeah. So I, I think it, because it's been misused so many times and I... No, but it, but it, because in, in one way, this is all semantics, right? But but it's also trying to, when we say innovation policy, we, we are trying to do something else. So so now let's link it to another one. I put to you that the, the, the topic of innovation is more linked to first principles thinking <laughs> than to improving on what you have. I, I think agree. this is another, compo- another dimension. Before we go into that, do you have an idea of what, what, what do you think when you hear the term first principle? It would be very interesting to hear what you think. Have you heard or have you thought about that? Mm, not too much. If you expand on that and then I'll ride on, on your <laughs> yeah. thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, so there is so many ways to, to talk about this. We we all love and prefer the whatever Elon Musk says is the truth. No, sorry, I'm kidding a bit. But um, what he basically did uh, when it both comes to Tesla and, and perhaps also SpaceX is you know really courage to challenge the norm, challenge what you know people say. This is the way you should do things. If someone says you know if you build a rocket. You can, you know, make it go up in space and then you throw it away. And then you can challenge them and say, why? Why can't you land them again? And then people say, no, that's impossible. That can never, never happen. Then you start going to the core principles of either physical laws or business laws or technical laws or whatever kind of first principle you're thinking about and seeing, okay, if we want to build a rocket, why can't we do that? So for one First principles, to me at least, is about having the courage to really challenge the norm of doing something. And doing that challenge by looking at the core principles. You know, if it's something you build from a physical point of view, well, then look at the physical laws. If it's something from a technical mm-hmm. point of view, then yeah, see, yeah. you know, how do you really build a AI model that needs to have a REST API that can be used in a super scalable, nice way? Well, look at what technical core principles are and see... Can you do it in a different way? Challenge the norm. Yeah, and, and mm. uh, the business perspective of first principle can be what Volvo is doing now with uh, M, mobility, right? Mm. So are they core? What is, what is their core principle? Is it truly to build cars or is it transportation? You know, so what is my core business? Is it is it this building cars, selling cars? Or is it that you can rent a car and, and you can have it as a subscription? Why do I need to own a car? Is is the ownership of a car that I sell a car to you? Well, that's the boisterous model we have today. But if 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 you strip down what is Volvo to the core, and then you build it up again, and then you end up in M. So so innovation for me is also a little bit like improvement. You have not really challenged the core print. You know you haven't challenged the parts you have on. You haven't sort of stripped down to the core and gone another direction. So if innovate, so when you say that. I like, how do I distinguish between innovation and improvement? I think the innovation part is you're re I mean, like you, you can do innovation of process, but then you're reinventing the process. Mm-hmm. So I, I yeah, we have analog processes everywhere. Do I computerize on top or do, how do I rethink the innovation within the, the process with an automation mm-hmm. first, first as an cool. example? Well, awesome. I think first principle thinking is something that can help a lot of companies to become more innovative and, um, I'm so, sure that. So, since, uh, yeah, what yeah, do you so, think? So, this is we've uh, been elaborating on this. Yeah, certainly, and it's so important topic, isn't it? Because if you don't have that kind of thinking, mm. uh, 
what you, could happen is that you get run over. Mm. Yeah. You know, you're out of the game suddenly without, without realizing. And you know, l- just look at the Fortune 500 list. Yeah, not a lot Come of shit. companies stay on that yeah. for more than actually five, ten years. And, and that's why it's so important to have a you know structured uh, approach to innovation. Mm. Doesn't mean that you kill creativity, but you actually spur that and direct that deliberately in a direction. So, for example, you could use a method called four horizons to see what we are hearing now in the first horizon. Yeah. Let's move to the fourth one. Yeah. What are the potential crazy ideas that could yeah. come up? And then you can use obvious methods to, you know, del- you know, delve on that and dig deep into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, absolutely. And, and Stephen Vlacko, sorry. Oh, we should, sorry. Now, uh, just to close the topic of, of innovation, sorry. you know, one is to try to understand what it means and different ways to become innovative and then thinking about organizations. And, uh, you know, I've been working in a number of companies in the past and I'm always trying to fight for, you know, how can we be more innovative? And it's so hard sometimes to make that happen, I must say. And so easy for companies to just think about, you know, the next quarter or the next month kind of iterations or the, the sprints that you have in your scrum board or whatnot. Exactly. And, and to become truly innovative, I would argue you need to look beyond that and at least have a number of alternatives and look a bit more longer ahead. And, and for me, at least, it's, it's really hard for a lot of companies to make that happen. What, what's your thinking? How can we make more Swedish companies become more innovative? I think it starts with management, really, to have an understanding of innovation and, you know, to understand their role in that, how they can really kill that, you know, by Asking. operating in that way. Quarter. And, uh, you know, what's our uh, innovation management system here, really? And what I at least see is a lot if you have, you know, you have KPIs and so forth that are, you know, directed towards the presence. Yes. But... And that's an interesting discussion now on we need OKRs, objects and key results. You know, that captures the change that we want to see, not just the status quo or you know what's the quality in our production, but what's the change that we want to see and how do we measure that? And to challenge that, I think that's you know something that's so important for management to actually be aware of that and you know discuss those kind of topics. And it's hard, isn't it? You know, being a manager where you're responsible for delivery today. Yes, exactly. And for, tom- you know, the, the future of tomorrow. So thinking about, because this is really the bottom core challenges, I would say, because you have people that are responsible to say, I'm going to deliver, you know, this sprint for in two, three, four weeks, you know, for doing that. And if they fail doing that, that's a big problem for them. And then, you know, h- how can you still be innovative if you still have this kind of daily kind of requirements on you? So one of the thinking we've been speaking about before is this kind of idea of having a centralized versus embedded kind of, if we take AI now, like data science department. So you can think about even having data scientists being embedded into a product team, building some part of some product or service. Or you can think about having a centralized team that work independently of them, but then there is cons with that as well, since they are disconnected from what's really happening and it's hard to convince and move that into production. And do you have any thinking about that? If you if you just focus a bit on the organization of a company and how teams should be 
collaborating in some way to to just get away from this problem of you know just looking at the next week's deliveries so to speak oh that's a tricky one isn't it um but you're an expert in advanced product management here so <laughs> that's your phd <laughs> I, i will have to uh, you know <laughs> perhaps a blurred answer but i would say you have to be ambidextrous meaning mm. that you have to have both ways you know sort of like a matrix and mm. everyone knows that has worked in a matrix oh it's hard work yeah. and it's tough but it, i think that's the answer really because the problem or you know the upside of having a data scientist department that is can work on their own is that you you, you let that creativity unleash don't yeah. you but if they are too much embedded in the operation creativity dies and oh daily operations yeah. but there are really ways that you can you know have a mix there where you have this Good. central team but they are not there 100% of the time or at least not 100% of the year but you get that you know learning that you know um knowledge building in that group where they have you know this task or mandate or must to be inspired outside of the organization because you know so little in an organization happens within the walls yes but that team could then go outside and you know be inspired and take that inspiration back but to have that grounded in actual operations Cool. And we only have half half now left. So, let's, <laughs> so I'm trying to get let's really you know, get selective now. Topics. Let's yes. go for it. And I love your answer, by the way. Having some kind of hybrid organization for that. Exactly what we did in Spotify as well. And I think it's the best way to go as soon as you pass a certain size, at least. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, oh, I'm really trying. Okay, so I'm going to list a number of topics here, and and you can select a bit what you prefer to speak about. We only have like 30 minutes left, so. I was thinking potentially AI speed and talking about that because that is a significant investment from Vinova. We can talk about, you know, challenges becoming AI ready, but I think we touched about that a bit. I'd love to speak about public speaking, which is one of your expert topics, which would be fun to just at least briefly speak about if you have any tips or yeah, can, can speak about how you do it so well as you do. Because I truly think uh, that's, a, well, that's a good topic, I think, as well. Cool. Let's put, move that to top then. Uh, We also have this kind of fragmentation problem that you mentioned a lot, both in in Sweden from a national point of view and also from a more regional point of view, but also I would say from a European point of view, which is even more fragmented. That's a hard one, and perhaps even yeah. not super interesting. Regulation is another one that I, mm, would be fun. But we have talked about it quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah, true. The AI divide, I think we and and your topic, project the uh, projects are dead. I think we should. It's just because when I, I use last John to your PhD, and, and and when you see projects and you work at, so I just want to, and, yeah, and then we have the general one about singularity and AI divide, etc. But let's start with public speaking then, if that's okay. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah, and and once again, you know, um, having seen a lot of speakers, and I think we all have, and Goran here is the I think the foremost expert in in criticizing public speakers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, I think you do it extremely well, and um, it's always so engaging and fun to hear you speak. So, what's your thinking behind it? Well, how do you think when you're going to try to give a public talk and really make people, you know, engage and, and uh, listen to what you have to say? How do you do it? Can I start with two examples? Yes, Best real way. life examples Best of uh, introductions that I've done. Uh, all right, the first one. Santa Claus, Hitler, 
guess the third one. Have you seen that famous TV show with uh, Aftershave and the Galenskaparna? Do you remember Harry Dime and his coach where he linked different... So there was one example. Santa Claus. Awesome Hitler. opening, yeah. Um, the, the second example then. War. War in Syria. Porn war. War between different cities. The news today was certainly not a good one, but here we are, and so forth. So what I see is as my obligation is to you know make the best of my minutes and you know focus on the introduction and the closure, mm. and if I have time, the passages between different sections. Mm. If I you know if I fail in the actual sections, no one will really bother, or they might do, but that's okay. But if I can get you know something that really catches the audience early on, that has relevance for the topic, and then make sure that if the first section is about, for example, AI divide, and then I want to move into policy, it should be a smooth transition, something logical that links that together. And then have a you know you know a good closure. Mm-hmm. So so a, a structure here: start, end, transition. Is you know if if you're short of time and you need to, someone needs to. Yeah, I need a presentation. I start with. Okay. Yeah. Tip um, number one. I mean, I really. Uh, this is super interesting. Like, yes. Wait, wait. Okay. Let's start with this. How much do you prepare before the presentation, and how do you do that? Uh, honestly, uh, so, so yeah, because <laughs> the, no, please so, lie to no, us. No, because there are two types of speakers. Okay, there are people that are so confident and they will basically just wing it. Okay, Henrik is one of them. He can speak to whoever. I don't however. wing it. Uh, you don't wing it. You prepare very much, but you don't, for example, ask who is in the room. I have never heard you ask me like Goran who is going to be in a room. But I know. But you know, right? But you never ask for it, right? So you, you basically you just prepare. You know, but you don't know. Okay. So so just basically, it's not a negative thing because you will you will kill it. You did the presentation today. It was beautiful, right? Everybody loved it. But how much presentation? How much preparation do you do before the event? Because there are two types of presenters, so I'm very interested about this. Uh, due to reality, yeah. you know, yeah. the harsh reality that it cross-country I, skiing goes first. Exactly. <laughs> I generally speaking, don't have a lot of time to prepare, so that's why I'm fortunate that I, you know, ten years ago, something like that, said that I need to develop my toolbox in terms mm. of different kind of uh, openings. So, for example, one is to pick up something from the news, just one example, use a poem or, you know, a question introduction where, you, you know, pose an important question that or something like that. So I have a, a sort of like a toolbox that I have in my b- back of my mind. And that means that I don't have to prepare that much uh, as long as I'm, you know, know the subject uh, that I'm going quite to well. spe- speak quite so, well. So why do you start like that? I think it's something that you know, I try to break a pattern. If mm-hmm. everyone else were to do it, I wouldn't. Yeah, but I you know, so, really, if I'm talking to uh, you know the, the head of the ministry, for example, or to Anders or whoever, I, you know, if I don't, know, if I know them, if we're at Vinova, that's one thing. 
but you know I have so little time to capture their attention. attention. Yes, so it's control. Yeah, mechanism. really. Yes, yes. It's a way to suck them in. To okay. Yeah. Now I now you're listening for real. Yeah. yeah. You you remember when we did the uh, me and Hendrik did we did a trick, so Hendrik ordered a coffee and a milk. Yes. And then we we went on stage <laughs> and I have a picture of this, and then he started mixing. He didn't say anything. He started mixing <laughs> the, the the coffee and the milk, and everybody was. What the heck is I didn't on? say anything. I used yeah. one glass of milk, one glass of coffee, <laughs> and then the whole audience, and I used, and everybody's there, and you start pouring. Yeah. They was, I so, had it, so it's a great tool to start with a control because people need to snap. So yeah. beautiful, continue. But sometimes it backfires, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That goes the preparation about who is in the room. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that is a thing. And, and as a PhD I did once, you know, I said, I, you know, Imagine that you were a project manager at this firm and you had three hours and, and I went on just short induction and I said, best of luck. And I w- left the room, you know, I said, everyone, you know, started, should we do this task now or what? <laughs> and it was a good opener. Uh, but then at the one conference, the moderator didn't understand it. So he was so stressed. He went up on stage and I, I came back and it was like, he couldn't, you know, under- grasp that I was back and I was part of my show, so it backfired. It backfired. No, you, your session is over. You had your thirty seconds. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. My like tip is to have a, some structure how it works, how it hangs mm-hmm. it up, and you have some. Actually, you have your little bank of strong openings. Yeah, that sucks people in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And breaking the mold is one key aspect of it. Yeah, certainly. And I never write a detailed script. Never, never. Not uh, even for the opening? No. Hmm? Uh, because I don't want to get caught up in having to follow a script because, you know, things happen when yeah. you, you know, even I get a lot of nerves sometimes. Yeah. And if I have a script, then you can get caught in that process, that cognitive process. But rather, obviously, sometimes I rehearse the opening because yeah. that's sort of like the way in. But you, you have your slide or your keywords on the on like so that's your topic, right? But then you and you rehearse it, so it becomes more and more s- tight. But it, mm. there is not a perfect word, you know. I agree so, with this one hundred percent. Yeah, and I like you know to go with the flow. Mm-hmm. How important is energy? Oh, that's super important, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you're listening to someone, yeah. you know, everyone can't be a theatrical monkey, obviously. That's not the point. But being passionate about what you're talking about yes. and trying to get across. Because normally, you know, if you get me on my private side, I would be a bit more mellow. But here, we, you know, it's my, really my I obligation. Even, but it's interesting <laughs> because you... Your body language from when we were sort of preparing, bef- you know, before the camera went on until uh, actually we had the first introduction. And then y- your your body language changed when you asked, and could you introduce yourself? Who are you? Hmm. It's, it, and I, I, this is super professional. Yeah, it's a and game. I actually, me who has been around this, like, holy fuck, he changed on, st- he, he snapped into energy which is really, really important. And I just wanted to highlight that, that 
Go back to your listeners and look at the start today and you will see what happened when, when Anders asked and you snapped into character. It was also that we spoke too much in the beginning. Yeah. That's, that's, that's another, another <laughs> He was bored. So he was bored <laughs> because he was listening to our bullshit. That's another point. So let, let's end this. So we started with a control. Uh, so do you follow, for example, kidney shape or walking on the stage? Like, you know, so you, you, you keep the momentum on. Uh, do you have any tips and tricks for, for presentation slides? Moving do you use a lot of slides? How many slides? What is your maximum slides that you use? I think I can vary that a lot, really. Mm. But it's one thing that I try to always, always avoid is a lot of text. Yes. Because uh, you, you risk the confusion to get the audience confused. Should they read the slide? Should yes. they, you know, listen to you? Or yeah. So I try to get something that they can use as a... You know, a memory board, you know, when they come home and, oh, he was talking about that. And if it's super important for me, for them to remember what I actually said, I will have, you know, in the rare occasion, I will have two sets. Yes. One that I use on the stage and one that is published afterwards. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that is quite We usually ask for two slides because uh, uh, most of the, the slides that are coming are vetted from the PR. Yeah. So you cannot use them in any case. So... It's great. It's um, slides is, uh, is very interesting. And uh, of course, avoiding the wall of text, I think, is super important. And it's such a newbie mistake to, to have that. But then when it comes to pictures, it can also be overdone in some mm. ways. And uh, there is this concept of mood pictures or where you have pictures that does a, doesn't really say anything when it comes to the topic you're speaking about, but it's supposed to bring people in some mood, happy, mellow, whatever. And I actually, what, what's your thinking about having pictures that is not really, you know, visualizing what you're speaking about, but just have like other purposes? Or First of all, I've done that myself. Um, I think it has to tie in some way or another to what you're saying rather than just, you know, getting a, a feeling. That's my, uh, you know, my uh, view anyway. But it could be linked not just, you know, to... Um, the specific topics, but to your key message, really. Yeah, so the picture is a metaphor or, not, or like strengthening the key message. Like sometimes you want to talk about that, but it, but it's really about change. Yeah. So can I then find a picture that symbolizes change? You know, that works. Mm. Exactly. Or if we talk about there's a lot of fragmentation, a lot of uncertainty, you might be able to use a blurred picture that is about, you know, the, the fog in the landscape, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But you have to be, if you, you do that, you have to ensure that you link yeah, your, 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 you know, presentation or yeah. your, what you're saying to that picture. If, because otherwise it risks of confusing them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We call it the support tool because the presentation, the, as you said, the eye should be on you. The presentation should be just in, in amplifying what you're saying. Errol Kuhlmeister is actually quite good in this. He chooses pictures that would just amplify one key point. He doesn't write it. So just basically it's one word. Mm. Amazing. Mm. Right? It's mm. like uh, time for change yeah. and things like that. And then just to reinforce it a bit because the presentation slides are about that. I had like a speakers that are sending me for 30 minutes around 44 slides. That is a stroboscope. That is not a slide. Okay. <laughs> no, it's an animation. Yeah, it's, it's an animation. It's, it's a stroboscope because people are just basically drinking what happened, right? And you can see the delegates because I sit there on the side, like, okay, this is not going well. This is not going well. And then you can see the person just clicking. And then people are like, okay, which slide are we on? You know, because, and the focus, he, he is just disappearing in this. 
Okay. So good. So first of all, uh, when did you start not preparing for, uh, I mean, you prepare, but not basically, you know, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm stressed about this because there is a tangible time when you say like, I know how to do this now. Mm. Right. So when did you stop fully preparing, you know, with the stress and all of these levels? I think, uh, you know, if you look at if I have tried for 10 years or so to, you know, consciously work with my presentation technique, it probably took five years or something yes. like that, yeah. I would guess. Uh, yeah. And then I had the toolbox and then also I had gotten into a position where I didn't have the time. No. Whereas as a PhD, although you have tons to do, you st still have more time than as a manager today. Yeah. Less so, part, less part. How do you close? Mm. And this is a question for you as well, because you are very quiet about this and you're a public speaker as well. So you're mm. trying to be shy here and I have heard your presentation. So this is a question for you as well, Anlish. Yeah. So how do I close? Uh, do you want to specify that question or yes, give I an example? So, so, so let's call it like um, best practice, summarize, key learning points, majestic closing, like something like, you know, uh, to pump up people a little bit like uh, more like uh, uh, or just basically hey here is a we are hiring or uh, <laughs> you know standard like uh, contact you me have on your toolbox for opening so, so usually mm. the closing is very specific to a person and when you see it if you've worked with the person i will know exactly how the last slide is going to look like right so and it's a it's a it, all of them are positive but Everybody has their own mm. slide of closing. Have, what's, your, what's your closing toolbox or your closing it's style? It's a CTA, right? Mm. It's a call for action. So what kind yeah. of a close of action do you have? I think you know, I do have a variety there, but what I try to do at least, if I succeed or not, is another matter. Yeah. But I try to give a punchline that is action-oriented, but it must link back to the opening. Yes. 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 Okay. Well. It's, it's the whole fish uh, rhetoric. Oh. As, uh, tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them piece by piece. Tell them what you told them. Yeah. yeah. Simple. That's one example. Yeah. You could also call it hidden repetition. Hidden repetition. And uh, what, and we have it, yeah. what do you uh, say, Anders? You Anders, have listened to me on. a few times. <laughs> <laughs> no, Anders needs to answer for himself because uh, he's also doing like, how many presentations do you do per week now? Not per week. I mean, in Corona times, it's not as much, but before, before Corona, Corona, it was a lot. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. Your way of closing. <laughs> and then we can close the topic so we can move on. I think this week have been very good. 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. No, but of course, something encouraging is really, you know, something call to action, something saying, you know, this person says, and you can have some really inspiring words. If we do this right, here is what can happen. Um, yeah, S simply to have something really inspiring um, to let people you know, rethink uh, if you do this right, it's this awesome thing is going to happen. Mm. Something like that. And uh, Hendrik, the last, uh, I know your slides, so. Um, I mean, like I, I always try uh, similar structure to what you highlighted, focusing on, focusing on the opening, the transition. I, you know, I always even looked at each, each slide as a, you know, what, what's my key message on this slide? Also, what's the opening? What's the key message? What's the transition message mm. to the next slide? So if I have 10 slides, I actually know exactly how I go through that. The rest is, I know the topic, right? And then ultimately, the, uh, I don't know if it's Aristotle, Plato, or what the fuck it is, uh, it's the fish, right? Tell them, 
tell them what you're going to tell them. Uh, tell them piece by piece. Tell them what you told them. So you you, you put an executive summary in with the value proposition. Mm-hmm. And where the value proposition outlines the key topics, and then you move into the key topics, and and you do that. Then w- the way I do that is different, right? So sometimes I do a very formal agenda. Many times, right now, I don't do an agenda on purpose uh, because I want this to be. I don't want them to really know where this is mm. going, right? So it's also a little bit like if you tell a story. Once upon a time, you don't let people kind of look at the different chapters. It's ruining the story, right? So storytelling, storytelling, mm-hmm. storytelling, storytelling. So what's a good starting point? What's a good story and has a peak? And what is the the ending, right? Key message. You typically key messages or and, and a call to action. Typically, mm-hmm. yeah, we could speak about this forever. I think, and you know, should we put humor into some of the slides and, and things like that? But, Okay, let's uh, but, close this topic. But linking it, this is important. If we want to do data and AI, if we want to convince people who doesn't know and understand the topic, it's not their home. You know, we are taking people outside of their comfort zone, maybe competence-wise or whatever. We are talking to bosses, and it's you know we need to be good at this. I think it's key. I think it is. Communication is so underrated. I think, and and yeah. if you look at look Americans that got trained in school so yeah. much more than Swedish. Uh, people do, and uh, it, it's a bit sad. I think you know, public speaking yeah. should be taught much more than it is. And, and especially on a nerdy topic. Mm. Yeah, sorry. yeah, one question that really helped me personally uh, was, uh, you know, when I started to post a question, if you listen to someone and they are trying to do a good presentation and they don't fully succeed, do you judge them or not? And then, then you post that question to yourself. If you do that, do you judge yourself or not? And for me personally, I was much harder on myself. But when I saw someone else that was, you know, really trying to do a good job on stage, and it didn't fully succeed, at least I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And getting that external perspective on myself was something that helped me. Yeah. Yeah, I still remember Adam Carver, one of the best speakers I've seen, at least. And he can he keeps speaking about how he fails all the time. And he builds up so much trust by being so honest and transparent. Oh, the victim, uh, the victim one, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so, but let's. Yeah. We're speaking this in the after after work. Yeah, yeah, the victim and the, and the winner <laughs> model. I think that is so cool. This is the after after work. Okay, yeah. cool. It's actually how how this podcast is yeah, based because now we go to about the new, new topic. topic. We, yeah. we. Okay, Henrik, uh, this is your topic. The projects are dead. What do you mean with that? So, I I think. Looking at where the tech stack is going, and we talk about agile, and we talk about DevOps, and we talk about this is one angle that the the traditional approach of something starting and stopping is gone. So, and um, even to the point where we, I today work very, very hard in my day job at Scania to, to change an operating model from this is static line process, this is project, different people working in projects versus line to having a cross-functional DevOps team that runs processes product continuously. Mm. And basically being able to have the redundancy to develop as, as we go along. And, and con- concretely, this is how I run, you know, this is how we run a, a one billion CEC implementation of ERP across Scania in, in, in financial services. You know, it's a, the way we develop um, the implementation, it's, it's either it's a huge project 
or it's actually a snowball effect how we take some core functionality and we grow it feature by feature. So, so the iterations is drops is, you know, and all of a sudden now I don't really have a, a project tollgate model. I have feature release model. So, so my project model is more, it's agile, I guess. <laughs> and, and it's DevOps, I guess. So when you have continuous operations and delivery, do you have project then or do you have product? Mm. Does project exist in this world or is it something else? Is this portfolio of use cases, portfolio of features? This is my angle, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, I see what you want. And I think, yeah, no, uh, true to that, uh, if you want to put a, a nuance on that, I think, you know, it's one thing if we're talking about software development. Yeah. In particular in software development, where it's hard to you know, sort of set boundaries and know where it's going and need to be more iterative and so mm-hmm. forth. And there's a different thing if we're talking about other kinds of, uh, you know, development. If we're talking about developing the organization, it might be good to have a project to make sure that we don't just, you know, deprioritize it. Mm-hmm. But also I think it's important to distinguish between what we as an organization, how we manage projects and what the project as a tool is. Because what you're talking about, that we distinguish the organization that they are dealing with the projects and then you hand over it to someone else. And one of the things that some organizations have done is that, well, if you're part of a project, you can't, excuse my French, but you can't put that shit on someone else, but you have to manage that after the project. That means that when you develop it, you you need to ensure that it's robust, that it's mm. uh, the, you are the line organization. So you yeah. don't separate the organization as such. But having said that, I think that we have driven on many levels in the Swedish uh, um, you know system as such and in different organizations, the projectification too far. That, and that was really Lilith my point. So of course there is initiatives and all that, but one of the things that I grew up as, as I see a, a real pain point is that the project, it's the core steering, right? So you have line steering that works in some ways, and then you have project steering that works in another way. And when we come to tech now together with data and business process reengineering, we tend to even from a project perspective, if you're not careful, we are fragmenting it. So, so if I have hundreds of projects in, in a large enterprise, I get project architecture. I get the project that run, runs its own life and they build their own tech stack even, mm-hmm. right? And and it doesn't really scale so well. I mean, like it, it, it works within that space. It works mm-hmm. within that domain where the project has been raised, but it doesn't work for the whole of the enterprise. So uh, I, I see to some degree the challenge for the big enterprises, this is my personal experience, is that the project-centric approach that we have driven it too far. This is line, and we are we are hardly suffocating. You know, we we, we can't deal with we, we are too lean. So we get a management consultant, IT consultants <laughs> in, and they run the project, and then they piss off, and this doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. So they, so I, I've seen some really. Uh, project is good. I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm also seeing, can we, can you drive it too far? I mean, like that's, that's, that's this whole conversation I want to explore. Mm. A question then, uh, you know, from what I have, I wouldn't say detected, but you know, the fragments that I've uh, picked up is the, the way that we govern project is a problem in itself because we often have management 
uh, objectives that we steer on and they are um, backward oriented. You know, yes. how much money have we spent? Yes. How much time have we spent? But it's not really process oriented. You know, how is the team feeling? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what's the quality of the software that we're developing? Do we have anything to compare with? But rather we just uh, normally and too often look at time and budget and it's backward oriented yes. reviews. Yes, true. Cool. I think we need to start to round off a bit, unfortunately, even though I'd love to hear more about a lot of other things that we didn't cover, but especially Europe's. Uh, okay, let's stop. Cool. Uh, Daniel Rinkans, what's next in your life? Professionally, personally, or what's coming up on your side? Professionally, I'm shifting my portfolio slightly at Vinova, which nice. is very interesting. Uh, something that I personally advocated for, that we need to improve our data-driven development and AI in our organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I will be overall re- responsible for some parts there, not, not everyone, because some parts will be on IT and so forth, but in the actual development from a business perspective, the needs that we have in the organization. So we have two new data scientists now that's coming in to complement this team, which is super important. So we can be more data driven in terms of how we deal with application, but also in terms of the analytics that we do. So that's something that I'm super excited about. So to a certain extent, I'm shifting my focus slightly from being extremely external oriented to be more internal, Um, not entirely, but to a great extent. And I think that's super interesting for me personally and uh, important for the agency as well. Making Vinova more data and AI ready in some way, or? Indeed, indeed. And uh, obviously our key role is to improve the system as such, but mm-hmm. to have legitimacy and be a public organization that brings value on all accounts to the taxpayers, we need to work on that side as well. Mm-hmm. But I think you, if you can keep one hand in both pots, would be very, very good for Vinova because the more you now start going into operationalizing AI yourself, sitting yourself doing it, I wonder how much that will spill over to how would you would frame the agenda, what we need to focus and invest on. Like, like I was uh, insinuating, we, maybe we shouldn't spend more innovation, money, funding, orchestration problem uh, solving. Mm. And if you go into the work where you do the work yourself, maybe your even the picture what we, that will help Vinova to be a better. That would be fantastic, mm-hmm. I think. I think that's a must, really. So, so for example, before I came here today, I was in a, a network startup of a network in AI Sweden for uh, government agents or public organizations. Because I think that we, as an agency, cannot just do it ourselves internally. But in that internal work, we need to look outside of our own walls, get inspiration, get connected, mm. be more forward uh, oriented, mm. lean forward really. So uh, true to that. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, more cross-country skiing perhaps as well? Even or? Indeed, it's perfect weather, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm certainly going to be a lot more cross-country skiing, even though it's a special year with the corona. No, At least now, right now we can do it at home. 
Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> and I was so sad with the Vasaloppen yeah. being cancelled and all that. But this is to be is honest. Is that a yearly happening for you? Yeah, I've done it for the last five, six years, something oh, right. like that, uh, improving myself. <laughs> what, what, what's your time? You know, what, uh, what's, your, what's, what's your goal next time? Uh, I haven't decided yet, man. But best one is four hours and what? forty-seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I started, you know, doing this as a thirty-year-old, so everyone can learn. Yeah, oh, interesting. I think I did it eight or nine, by the way, ten years ago. Cool. If you were to recommend <laughs> someone to come on this podcast, do you have any specific names in mind? So many interesting people in this world, isn't it? Uh, any anyone in particular? Hmm. I've seen some of the guests. I can't recommend them. Uh, I think it would be interesting to have Mats Snell, for example, that has worked on Lantmeteriet and gone to dig now uh, to, to poke him a bit about the natural ambitions and get his insights from trying really hard to turn an um, agency to, to be more data-ready and be more open in terms of the data work and he has some interesting insights so perhaps that could be one interesting guest use the combination of both coming from Lantmeteriet and now ending up in Dig that's yeah. quite interesting otherwise I you know I love to hear you know startup stories that's interesting one of um, one of the you know apps that I use myself is Race Fox uh, which you know measures your movement and um, it's quite interesting to to hear about their journey from uh, being from six, which is now Ray Arise, the research mm-hmm. institute, and how they have, you know, improved their uh, product. And uh, it would be interesting to hear more about that journey because there's always this um, challenge when you come as a newbie when you have uh, the, the incumbents in terms of Strava Still. and uh, other apps that are not really adapted to in this case, cross-country skiing, but they have some basic, super good functionality. So how can you manage that uh, in terms of being a startup where you don't have you know, super much funding, I would guess, and a lot of resources? You have to be super specific, but still you have the customers. A lot of the customers compare you to the incumbents. Well, cool. Speaking about startups and people from that, next week we will have Oliver Edholm. He's um, in this startup called Depict.ai. So trying to rival Amazon and others in recommender systems and whatnot. So perhaps you can listen into that as well, though. That's super interesting. Cool. Thank you very much, Thank Daniel. I, I so wish many, we, we had, have so yeah. many more questions. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> Uh, super interesting. I wish you best of luck with uh, your new roles and tasks in Vinova. And I hope you keep up the great work. And I hope to see you soon speaking publicly again so I can enjoy that uh, awesome, fun experience. Thank you very much. Thanks Thank a you. lot. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you.